And the activity is something that's hard to define, right? You have paint, which is this goopy material, and you're moving it around on a surface, and that's it. You know, there's no right way to do it. I mean, maybe you're going for some kind of realism, but there's so much flexibility within that. And there's so much room for, you know, an individual expression. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 158th episode, I'm joined by Jordan Bashur, who is a painter and gallery director. We talk about her many life experiences traveling throughout the country, living in New York, and making paintings. So please stay tuned for this interview. Of course, we do want to remind you, Studio Break has plenty of other posts to check out. Again, each of those have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and of course, these interviews. You can peruse the archive feature just look on the left sidebar and go back month by month you can also subscribe in itunes if that's easier so please follow the itunes link as well of course we are in a couple of social media platforms so you can check us out on our facebook page and like it you can also follow our tumblr account that studio-break.tumblr and lastly please send cool artwork to at studio break so check us out on twitter say hello And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Jordan. Stay tuned. All right, we're making it official. Welcome to Studio Break. Jordan Bashur, how are you? I'm great. How are you, David? Excellent. And uh, you're joining me from uh, magical Nebraska. Uh, Whereabouts in Nebraska, just to let everybody know? I'm in the city of Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks again for, for... letting me pick your brain about your your paintings and all your experience and stuff like that my pleasure <laughs> <laughs> so where did you grow up and and uh what were some of those experiences like and we can kind of snake forward from there okay um well i was born in alaska and we lived there until i was 6 so that time is not at the forefront of my memory but still kind of a defining time mm-hmm. and then we moved to ohio and i always felt a little bit of well, resentment about moving from a place like Alaska to a very, very small town in Ohio. So I grew up in Ohio from age uh, six until I left for college at 18, and it was a small town. But my parents were always very supportive of creative activities. And so even though we were in that small town, I took guitar lessons and I was in a choir and I took dance lessons and all that kind of stuff. So, and we made trips to Toledo to go see the ballet or to go to the museum there. And Toledo has a really great museum. So, you know, I had some cultural experiences, but I still felt very sheltered there and wanted to kind of get out as soon as I could. But I didn't go very far then. I ended up going uh, for my undergraduate degree Um, to Goshen College, which is in Indiana. It's not very far. It took me a few more years to kind of launch out away from um, the Midwest. Well, so aside from the the guitar, were there other kind of art practices that you had, painting, drawing, uh, making things, anything like that? So I sort of did when I was younger and always took art classes, but it didn't really happen for me until high school because I went to a summer program at Interlochen Center for the Arts, Mm -hmm. which is in northern Michigan. And I went there for choir. And when I was there, I went for a couple of two-week sessions a few summers, and then I went for an eight-week session the summer after my junior year of high school. And so I was a choir major, but you could take electives. And so my electives were in sculpture, painting, metalsmithing, all visual arts. And that painting class was the thing that really changed my mind about what I wanted to focus on. And choir was suddenly very uninteresting compared to this painting class that I was taking. And that's all I wanted to do. And that was really, that was it. Since then, that was my focus. And was there anything, I guess, particular uh, thing about it that kind of drew you in in terms of, I don't know, just a a kind of way to explore that, I don't know. That, that mm-hmm. excited you? I, I ask because, again, it's interesting when you have those kind of moments, you know, someone yeah. is interested in kind of like finding this underlying reason, right? I don't know. 
I don't know if there's an underlying underlying reason, but I just remember that it was so serious. Like they took the class so seriously and the activity is something that's hard to define, right? You have paint, which is this goopy material and you're moving it around on a surface and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no right way to do it. I mean, maybe you're going for some kind of realism, but there's so much flexibility within that. And there's so much room for, you know, an individual expression. So we started with still life painting and the whole class is making still life paintings, but between them, each of them are so different. And I think that that was maybe the thing that was exciting to me. I mean, coming from choir, you're supposed to blend in and everyone is supposed to contribute to this one unified sound. But in painting, the goal is to make your unique work, right? Different from other people, even if you're working in the same manner. So I think that maybe that was the thing that was especially exciting to me. Plus, you know, the painting kids were the cool kids. Yeah, I'd like to think that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you you kind of have this experience then of of exploring this with your parents? Like, I want to be an artist or was it kind of... I came back from that summer and all I wanted to do was practice. So I worked in my room. I did a lot of self-portraits then. And I think it's because, you know, I was the one who was available and I wanted to get better at figure painting. And yeah, they were supportive. I mean, my mom is an artist as well. She um, was active when she was younger and then took a break from it and she's back into it now. So I could use her old watercolor paints. Mm-hmm. My art teacher at the high school let me borrow things to take home. So I spent a lot of time in my room working on paintings and drawings and collages. Would you say that like starting college then was a a super exciting time aside from just um, maybe the experience of starting college? I, I I don't know. I rarely think of like people that know kind of what they want to do or, you know what I mean? It's kind of like in a ballpark and maybe that always changes, but that must've been exciting. Just kind of being in that environment to, to take art classes then at a, you know? Yes, definitely. Um, I wasn't sure. So I went to Goshen college and it's a liberal arts school and I wasn't sure if I was going to stay there or if I was going to kind of do my general education classes and then move to an art school. Mm -hmm. Um, so at Goshen, you know, I could, I could take the art classes, but it still felt kind of like independent study because it wasn't an art school. There, there were art majors, but there weren't very many of us. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel the same kind of level of seriousness and competition that I had felt in other places. I had done like an early college program at the Art Institute of Chicago and went right from that to Goshen. So that was a big shift. And so I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to be there. But then, you know, I took so many other great classes that were not art-related, that were influential. Like, I took a lot of women's study classes there. And so I think that it was important for me to be there. But it made my first years working, kind of developing my individual studio practice, it made those very independent. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I didn't have quite the community there that I wanted. But I think in some ways that made me a little more driven to search things out on my own. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the perfect environment for that, or at least it makes me think also of how you're going to maybe learn that lesson one day, you know, because that community is really difficult to maintain. But Right. Um, and it's an interesting place to start out. What kind of things were you interested in making then, I guess, when you're during this time and in undergrad? Yeah. So I was, I was still kind of continuing on that interest in figurative painting, mm-hmm. like medium wise, I was using a mixture of drawing and painting and kind of working back and forth between pencil and oil and sometimes charcoal and oil and kind of blending between those two. So some of the artists that I was interested in also kind of used line, even if it wasn't a drawn line, if it was a painted line. So Alice Neal was somebody that I was really into in undergrad. And um, also Ida Applebrook. So painters who were using line, that was a big thing for me then, and figurative. So that was pretty much what I worked on through most of college with some, you know, sidetracks. But that was the 
that was the main thing that I was focused on. Did you have a lot of experience going to see art then too, as, as well, going no. to museums or? No, not really. Um, so there was the Toledo Museum that I spent a lot of time at and uh, the Art Institute of Chicago because that was kind of the nearest city, mm-hmm. major city. And um, beyond that, not really. You know, I don't, I hadn't been to any major cities with a lot of museums. I hadn't been to Europe. It's not like there's a gallery scene going on in Northwest Ohio <laughs> or Northern Indiana. Sure. So um, most of what I saw was through books and then, you know, those few museums that I was able to go to. Well, so with that experience, did it really kind of help you to, to kind of continue with uh, schooling? And I should clarify in saying I, I'm talking about, you know, how you wound up eventually getting your, your master's degree. Oh, oh, man, there's a there's a long and winding road between those two. Break it down. What, what, so, so you're you're working on these paintings, and I'm I'm sure obviously some of that independence, you know, part of I'm sure graduate school is kind of going back to to get a maybe different experience. But um, yeah. I guess I thought I needed it. So, so did you wind up then just kind of pursuing like you were so independent that you just kind of went out and like forget this? I'm I'm going to go be an artist now, or kind of. I don't know if I had that confidence yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that built up a little more slowly over that period between undergrad and graduate school. I moved around a lot. Um, I first moved to Arizona and I lived there for six months in Mesa, Arizona, and I worked at a used bookstore. And so I don't think I made much. Maybe I worked in my sketchbook Mm -hmm. and that was about it at that time. It was fun to work at this used bookstore. It felt like I was a book buyer. So all of the books would first like the people would bring the boxes in and I would get to dig through these boxes of books and find all kinds of weird old books and catalogs and ephemera and who knows what in these boxes. I mean, along with all the romance novels and things like that too. Um, so that was a fun experience, but then I knew that I needed to do something or I wanted to do something more in line with my interests. So I moved to California and I worked as a program assistant at um, Jurassic Residency, mm-hmm. and that was a very formative experience for me because, you know, all these professional artists were coming in to make their work, and I got to see that, and I got to meet them, and they were all much more established than I was. So it was a great window into the future or a kind of way for me to make that a goal. And so then I had a studio as part of my—I lived— at the residency center and I had a studio along in my apartment. And so I was continuing to make paintings then. And I also moved into sculpture a little bit and did some drawings. And, um, from there I moved to New York and I did that partially because I met so many people at the residency program who were from New York. So I felt like, you know, I could land there and have a little bit of a community started already. Mm -hmm. It was very intimidating to think about moving there cold without knowing anybody in the city, um, and having never been there. So drove in and that was the first time I was in New York was in this rental car with everything I was moving with shoved in the car with me. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess, you know, again, that makes sense. You know, like you at least kind of feel like, you know, some of the, the, the people you've got friends, um, Mm -hmm. other artists, but was, was that also then to, to pursue your MFA degree or did you start out just kind of, um, looking for work experience and to yeah. maybe continue painting or. Yeah. So when I first moved there, it was just to have the experience of living in New York. And, um, I think when I was first there, I didn't have a studio and I would make some things at home, but I didn't have a very serious studio practice then. But what I did do was go to all the museums, go to all the galleries. It was a, a very, educational experience for me just looking but not really making work strikes me like in terms of like as you described uh maybe where you spent a lot of time growing up in ohio Mm -hmm. uh, obviously kind of like maybe a a world of different experience you know um right and also just kind of traveling around i would imagine a lot of it was just absorbing um you know all of those those settings 
and I guess this is where I start my tangents because um, because I, I start again thinking about books and working in bookstores. Um, mm-hmm. Are you? I don't know. Like in terms of like experience a city a city like that. I mean, are you like writing observations in a sketchbook? Are you kind of like holding on to like memories of experiences? Um, is there anything new to to living in an environment like that that you're kind of like absorbing and and thinking about how it might kind of relate to uh, cr- you know when you when you're really got the money, I guess, in New York to kind of have the the time to have a mm-hmm. studio and work. I mean, are there things that you're like kind of sucking in to kind of figure out how to, to make work from? Yeah, I keep, I keep notebooks. And actually when I was thinking about coming in and talking to you today, I was looking at some of those old notebooks. They're really kind of messy. They mm-hmm. feel like they make sense at the time. I'm just jotting down all kinds of things. So if I, I, will carry it with me. And especially if I'm going to museums or galleries so that I can make notes while I'm there looking at art. And so that's really the way of keeping track of those experiences, but also, you know, the act of writing it down can sometimes seal it in your head a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, so I keep notebooks and I, and I have all of them. I keep all of them going way back even to high school, I have my high school sketchbooks still too. Um, Interesting. You must yeah. have you must have a lot of storage. <laughs> well, <laughs> how long were you there before you decided that you wanted to to go back to um, the uh, the wonderful world of school? I guess um, I moved there in two thousand two, and I started school in two thousand six at Brooklyn College. So plenty of time you've you've been there, settled. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess is that is that even something that is I guess challenging to kind of be established and then kind of go back to back to this. What was that decision about? I guess. Um, well, I felt like because I went to undergrad at a liberal arts school in a small town in Indiana that I needed to have more critical dialogue around my work. I needed that from graduate school. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wanted to, I, f- I needed to push myself like those four years between undergrad and grad school. Like I said, I was, I was looking at a lot of art, but I wasn't making a lot of art. Mm-hmm. I went to Ch- Chautauqua in there. And so that was an experience where I was making a lot of work, but whenever I was not at a residency or a program like that, I I wasn't making that much work because I was working for a living Mm -hmm. and there wasn't that much time and I didn't have enough money for a studio space. So the things that I did were kind of at a desk and that was it. So I, I really wanted to go to school so that I could give myself that time and also surround myself with people who would have that kind of critical dialogue with me that I hadn't really had yet. And was that, I mean, was that kind of like that experience that you were longing for that you didn't really get? earlier, or at least I know I, I, I paint it like it's such a tragedy, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It wasn't, I mean, it was good for what it was. Sure. But, but I mean, just kind of being in a, a, you know, position where everybody is, you know, really doing this seriously, they're, you know, in pursuit of that. Um, was that like a a challenge from the start or was that something that was welcomed? Uh, it was challenging, but it was also welcome. I mean, I'm trying to think about how to say more about that. And the whole grad school experience is so dense and kind of fraught. But but definitely I found a community there of other artists interested in similar things or or willing to have that conversation about my work, even if their work was very different. And some from the faculty as well. Although I'd say that the biggest thing that I took from graduate school was a community from the other artists in my class. That was one of the major parts. And what kind of work were you, were you looking at? I mean, you, you kind of described again, kind of um, hitting up every museum, all the galleries, mm-hmm. um, seeing all that art. Did, is that something that kind of a, a, at least affected you in terms of just kind of anything like that or... Sure. Yeah. I was looking at a lot. I was still making figurative work then. And so, um, that was my primary interest when I was going out to look at art. Um, I remember at the end of grad school, there was a big Courbet show at the Met and that was really important to me. 
um, but also contemporary artists too. I mean, I was really interested in artists like Karen Kalimnik and uh, Mama Anderson and people working with the figure in different ways, like away from portraiture and towards more psychological comment or um, some kind of critical commentary. So moving away from a recognizable person into this other world of, I guess, psychological meanings. You know, when you don't have enough time to be able to kind of be in the studio working, it seems like a, mm-hmm. a dramatic shift when you're you're able to kind of dedicate all of this time to it. So right. I would just think of it as this experience where you're kind of like let loose. Was that is it yeah. the case? I mean, were you doing a lot of experimenting with your work and pushing it? And Yeah, my work moved through a lot of different looks, I guess, or styles. I mean, it was all figurative and I think I was working with the same themes, but it changed quite a bit from the beginning to the end in terms of paint application. Mm-hmm. That was a big shift in my work. And have have you always kind of used uh, like a, a acrylic paint in terms of painting versus some of the more mixed approaches or? No, in grad school I was using oil and sometimes I was still doing that mix between drawing and painting using, letting the pencil be part of the finished um, painting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just switched to acrylic two years ago, or two and a half maybe, just because I wanted to get away from the chemicals of oil painting. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of layering, and so it, it was like this whole new world of layers drying really fast. And then I could build the paintings individually instead of working on a group of five of them and only being able to touch each of them in one session and then having to wait to come back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to build those layers. So Sure. So acrylic is new. Did you have a, a, a plan kind of like on, on the outset, you know, in terms of like what you're going to wind up doing? Did you have uh, shows lined up or opportunities like that? Well, um, what did I do after school? <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated in 2008. And at that time, I was working as a studio manager for Micheline Thomas. And that job really gave me insight into you know, kind of the workings of the art world and how things happen. And so I was kind of, I, I had a studio after school. I rented a studio with some friends from grad school and I was working at that job and I was just making paintings. I had a couple of group shows then after graduate school, but I didn't have one specific thing that I was working towards. It was just kind of continuing that, that mindset of being in the studio that I had in grad school and that it's almost the guilt of needing to go to the studio that develops. It developed for me in grad school. Like you can't stay home. You need to go to the studio. Uh, so that drive and, and a little bit of that guilt stayed with me from grad school to, to just be in the studio, even if there wasn't a specific thing that I was working towards. Um, that was really important. So I was balancing between working part-time as the, as a studio manager and then also, my own studio practice. I guess I'm just kind of curious too, with with some of the other experiences that you've kind of outlined, you know, working with more kind of professional artists and, and mm-hmm. seeing how they managed to keep making work, you know, for, for such a long time, was that something that kind of helped you figure out like, you know, like there's a, there's definitely like a strategy that they're utilizing in terms of how they, how they divide their time and, you know, how many things they apply for. I mean, I feel like I could benefit from being someone's studio manager for sure (laughs) at this point, you know? (laughs) Well, before I was a studio manager for McLean Thomas, I was a studio assistant for Angela Dufresne who works at a very different scale, production scale. Mm -hmm. I didn't make any of her paintings when I was helping Angela. I was preparing the canvases and then doing computer work with her. So working with Angela was more of a mentor relationship so that I could look at what she was doing and imagine myself in that place in maybe 10 years or something like that and thinking about her strategies of getting where she was and you know, what, what success looks like. Whereas working for Micheline Thomas, that, that definition of success might be very different because she's working on a much larger scale. She has assistants who are helping to make the paintings. Um, and she's working, you know, for these much larger exhibitions happening 
in different parts of the globe. So, you know, having like three solo shows a year is something that I never would be able to do and never wanted to do. That was not where I imagined myself, but, you know, it gave me this view onto what that looks like and and what it takes to be an artist at that scale Mm -hmm. and how much assistance you need to make all of that happen. Um, and so, you know, two very different experiences with those two artists and, and it gave me a lot of insight into what it would take for me to be, or to define my own notion of success and then achieve that. Well, and it strikes me as how, I don't know, interesting it is in terms of, you know, somebody that's been, you know, through graduate school and you think about like apprenticing with someone or or like what you're learning and it doesn't, maybe some of those people have the opportunities to work in some of those programs, but I think a lot of it, even though there, there is that, um, I don't think it's that same kind of level. You know, I was talking to someone recently about how, you know, how many times you had a conversation about, Mm -hmm. you know, really making it as an artist or at least kind of thinking of yourself that way. Was that something then where like you like you were kind of just describing, you saw what it took to do that and it kind of allowed you to to help define that? Because I think a lot of artists are Mm -hmm. still looking for that, you know, especially now, too. I mean, even if you're even if you maintain a studio practice, Mm -hmm. um, if you're kind of in this holding pattern um and you're not entirely happy with what you're doing um it seems like just from hearing that like that again you kind of had this plan or <laughs> maybe it doesn't always feel like that but is that something like goal setting and and yeah. figuring out what you want to do i mean is it, was that something that had kind of like come about or yeah i think in in grad school there were a couple people who came to give professional practice workshops or something like that like jackie battenfield came and gave one and Denise Tomasos. And I, I remember very clearly from both of them that saying, you know, you need to write down your goals and you need to think about what those goals are in terms of the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. So that's something that I've done. Um, and trying to think about goals that are achievable as well as the kind of dreaming goals Mm -hmm. and, um, thinking about working towards those in small steps. And I think that that also helps develop this idea that being an artist and, and feeling being an artist is separate from the idea of success, but they get all mixed up, right? Because you want that recognition or you want someone to buy your work or whatever the things are that are important to you outside of making the paintings or making the artwork. So those two things get mixed up, but they're really separate. And so having a place of writing the goals down is for me, a way of separating out my identity as an artist. And then the things that I want to achieve, because I think that it's important to just have your identity as an artist. That's what you do. You go to the studio, you make these things, you push the paint around and that evolution and that process is not the same as did I get that prize? Did I get that residency? You know, those, that's a different world. They're related, but they're different. I mean, again, I think that makes a ton of sense, especially, uh, you know, one of the things that surprised me about even starting a, a podcast is like how many artists are super neurotic about mm-hmm. their, their careers or their studio, you know, and, and generally just kind of like never quite satisfied with where they're at, you know what I mean? So I think that kind of drive in the studio, I think totally makes sense because you're maybe wanting to line that up uh, professionally and maybe missing something. So that's, that's very interesting. Again, just to kind of remind everybody where we're at in terms of a timeline. So this is around uh, 2008. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a studio. I mean, did you wind up just hanging out um, in New York, making work, uh, working for artists and, kind of figuring out where you wanted to go from there? Or I guess with this goal setting in mind, was there like a, you know, like a, I don't know, like a more short-term goal that you were looking at? Um, Well, I thought that, you know, I I had really good experiences working for artists, but I knew that that wasn't a sustainable path. So I I started to shift a little bit when I was still in New York and um, I worked for an art advisory firm. So I was helping to select artwork for corporate collections, kind of a weird job, but really interesting. And I had done other more 
administrative jobs, arts administration. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you know, how can I get away from working in another artist studio? I wanted to separate myself from that so that it wasn't, I wasn't defined by this other artist that I was working for. Mm-hmm. So I had my studio, I worked for this art advisory firm, and then I was uh, thinking about leaving New York. You know, it takes a lot of money to live there, and I've never made job decisions based on how much they pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always been more about if it's interesting to me to do that job. So I didn't want, I mean, I saw it as unsustainable. I didn't want to work full time. I didn't want to find the highest paying job and just do it because it paid the most. So I thought that it would be wise for me to leave the city and be able to have a little bit more time and uh, more resources available to me. And it was, you know, it's a trade-off because then I was moving away from the community that I had established with grad school friends and other artist friends. I was moving away from the ability to show up at gallery openings, which is something that I think is really important. Like just showing up and being present is a thing that helps you meet people, gives you new opportunities, opens up all kinds of new conversations. So I was leaving that. But in the end, I think that that was the best thing for me because suddenly I had all this time in the studio again, which, you know, dropped off after grad school. I was still working in the studio, but I also needed to work at my job four days a week. Mm-hmm. So, What was the opportunity again that you wound up then moving? Oh, well, nothing specific. <laughs> um, <laughs> I moved with um, my partner to Farmville, Virginia, a tiny town. He had a teaching job there, and I was just ready to leave New York. Um, so I just worked in the studio while I was there. And, and then from there, we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska and kind of established ourselves here a little bit. And so, that time in Virginia is just a little blip. It was, right. <laughs> it was a little blip and it was studio and that was pretty much all that there was to do in that town. I would just think that, again, that would be something where you've got all these different experiences to kind of draw from. And I guess to kind of bring this back to the studio then, so were you still kind of interested in, in the figure at the time? And I guess like in terms of subject too, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this, but like, in terms of subjects, what were you interested in, in painting at the time, I guess? And again, I guess we're looking at, like, what, around, well, just a couple of years ago, maybe, no? Like this, uh, 2012 yeah, so or is, so? Or? Well, this is 2010 when I left okay. New York. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it had been figurative painting kind of from undergrad all the way through graduate school. And, and then that time after graduate school in New York, I was still making figurative paintings. And when I moved to Virginia for that little bit of time and I was just working in the studio, I I felt very displaced leaving a big city and moving to a town that's literally called Farmville (laughs) and uh, no community there. I mean, there were a couple people who were interested in art related things, but, you know, the closest place was Richmond and that was an hour and 20 minutes away or something like that. And, um, So I felt isolated and displaced. And I think all of that ended up shaking up my work quite a bit. I mean, I made some figurative paintings there, but it was a, it was a time of transition. And there's really only one painting from that time that I'm, that I still hold any interest in. Mm -hmm. And that was the first painting that I made of books. I had, there was this amazing junk store just a couple blocks from my house And I bought a bunch of old books there with really cool dust jackets. So they were probably from like the 60s and 70s. And the illustration was really interesting to me in terms of the color and and the methods of abstraction that they use. So I had the stack of books in the studio. And I had been flirting with the idea of painting books before because some of the figurative paintings um, were in libraries. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I had painted these kind of suggestions of bookshelves in the background. And I thought that that was something that might be worth investigating further. So when I bought this stack of old books, it was in my studio and I saw it and, and I made a painting from it. And, and my work ever since then has been building off of that one painting. So, you know, in some ways 
that move to Virginia was a really good thing for me because I made that painting and it kind of changed the course of my work pretty dramatically. And yeah, I've just been building off that one painting ever since. It's weird because I I remember someone telling me once, and oddly enough, it might have been at, at Chautauqua, like, you know, you just kind of like hold on to these ideas for years, you know, just hold on to it and mm-hmm. maybe you know, it'll come back around. I'm curious if it was something like, as you maybe described, like, was it something that you kind of always wanted to do and then you were just, you just tried it and then it was like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's why the notebooks are so important to me because I write down any little hint of an idea mm-hmm. and then it's so interesting to look back and see it. Like, so preparing to talk to you, I was looking at the notebooks and I saw a note about maybe making book paintings back in 2008. Mm-hmm. So that was a full two years before I actually did it. But just to get back to the idea of like, why such a thorough exploration of this one subject matter, the books, I think, offer so many possibilities towards different meanings. They're usually closed in the paintings that I make. And so there's this potential that the book could be about anything. It's it's a vessel, really. And based on the information that I'm putting on the cover, there might be a hint at what it could be inside. Mm-hmm. But it's really a place where the viewer can project whatever they might think that book might be and the meaning that could be associated with that. So, you know, it's less about the idea that maybe a, a collection of books would be similar to a portrait of a person that you could glean something from what that person is like based on their selection of books. I didn't want it to function as a portrait in that way. I wanted it to have a more open interpretation. So I think in that way, there's been, you know, this whole world opening up to me where meaning can be mutable and formal concerns can also be a major part of the painting. So like you were mentioning color, my color palette changed quite a bit from um, what I was working on with the figurative paintings, which was much more muted and kind of almost pastel colors. And then the colors got a little more bold with the book paintings and, and geometry became a big part of it too. Just all of the lines and the angles and, and what goes into making that composition being in charge of that placement was something that was really interesting to me because with the figurative paintings, I, I wasn't making the images. I was editing existing images. So I would like dig through old books or magazines and find an image that I felt like had a seed of a story or an idea. And then I would kind of edit and alter from that original source. Um, but suddenly with the books, then I was the author of the image from the beginning, you know, I would set up an installation and take the photos and then either paint from the photo with some changes in editing through the painting process or cut up the photos and make a collage and paint from that. So that gave me a lot of agency, I felt like, with the image and um, that felt really good. Yeah. And it's again, it's interesting to think about in terms of just a I was going to say a problem, like a visual problem, but just mm-hmm. all the different ways that you can kind of make arrangements, um, mm-hmm. you know, different formats, um, books that are on angles or right. you know, over top. Or um, again, it's interesting to kind of think about all those ways that you're exploring. Um, is it and I would imagine, I don't know, is there like a real reason behind that? Or is it just like, again, just kind of a way to kind of continue that exploring that language or this kind of like new way of working to just try and set things up in different ways and see, I guess, what kind of, um, you know, configurations you can come up with. Mm -hmm. So I think that some of it is part of that formal problem of setting up an interesting composition, right? I mean, sometimes I make paintings and, and the space could be real, but a lot of the paintings, the space kind of moves, moves away from, that realistic space and into this kind of shifting space where things are on end or seem like they could be falling over or there's multiple viewpoints in the same painting. And for me, this kind of takes the image away from reality and into this place where the meaning can shift similar to the ways that the books are shifting. It's like this unsteady area where the space is not realistic and also the meaning is not prescribed. So there are kind of multiple access points. And I think that, you know, that's something that 
that I'm that I've always been interested in is mutable meaning in the painting so that there's not one set meaning, but there are multiple possible meanings. It makes the, sometimes it, I think it makes the process or the understanding of the paintings a little ambiguous, but that to me is what's most interesting. But it makes me wonder too, like, like how much books are going to be around, um, in, in some know. ways, you know, cause there's such a, a love for the digital, but I think that's one sure. of the things that's really interesting about it because you can kind of look at a stack of books and think about a time where, I don't know, you had to move stuff out of a basement or maybe if a, a loved one passed away and you're right. going through their stuff or you're moving yeah. again, it's interesting because it's like a universal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also by kind of like not ascribing it to anything. I don't know. It just makes me, I don't know. I, I, I like the way that you kind of describe it. Um, just because I think it kind of leaves you with kind of more time for reflection on it again, mm-hmm. rather than kind of, I don't know what you're going to uh, <laughs> imbue, but I don't know what kind of books you can kind of put out there to, you know, really infuriate people or drive a, <laughs> you know, really, I don't know, emotive reaction. Um, right. But again, I think that's something that's so interesting about it. And I think, I guess, in terms of breaking down some of the formal things, one of the one of the qualities that I really like about the paintings, too, you know, are these areas of, of really kind of flat, kind of opaque color, but then also um, these areas that are really kind of brushed on and, and mm-hmm. lean, and you can kind of see that surface or, mm-hmm. you know, some of the reflection kind of actually comes from that surface. Um, right. Is that something that also is kind of fun to kind of incorporate that kind of washed kind of look? Um, and you kind of described it in a way where it's like you can't really put them always like in a specific scene. It kind of seems like they're in this liminal kind of space almost. That that's the joy of acrylic painting for me now is I can do all of these layers and they dry so fast and it's it feels very immediate when I'm going through that process of layering. And I think I've always used really thin paint, even when I was painting with oils. And so I'll have tubes of paint around forever because I use so little paint and so much medium with it. Mm-hmm. And so layering is something that I think just brings a richness to the painting. And being able to see the depth of color is something that I'm really interested in. The paintings have, I don't know how many layers, but it takes me forever to to build that surface of all of those layers. The image takes a long time to kind of congeal through those layers. Are you working on like a, you know, a handful of these at a time and kind of switching around or has the that process kind of changed? Well, it's definitely changed since um, the oil paintings when I would I needed to do that in order for things to dry and be able to work on them. Mm-hmm. But I still start in a similar way where I have a group of images, and I might sketch all of them out onto the panels, and but then I'll just focus on one. I don't jump around between them. And I think that's just because, at least lately, it's such a time-consuming process that I would be delaying the satisfaction of finishing a painting and I need, I need that to happen more often. I'd rather finish a painting and then jump to the next one rather than, you know, waiting until all five of them are finished at the same time. I, I, it's just been taking a long time in the studio lately to get things done. And so I want to finish them. <laughs> yeah. I, I got anxious hearing you say that for myself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm the same way. I just, and that's it's interesting to hear you describe that too, because even though I I, I still do work in oil paint, um, mm-hmm. it's very you're you're dead on, you know, like like I have this painting that I'm working on, and it's just like little little changes, and then lots of looking. Yes, Ugh. is is that something that's also kind of evolved in these two? I mean, that's got to be something that's nice too, because like you're describing, I mean, again, you can kind of like layer up. It's dry, mm-hmm. you know, like in right. probably like in ten minutes, and it's like oh, I can just go back into this or. Yeah. Too too bad that I can't actually work that fast. I have a lot of that sitting time too of just looking and trying to make the decisions of just simple things like what area do I want to work on next? Because the the bigger decision is what am I doing to that area? You know, like what is the next layer of color? How do I tighten it up or keep it loose or all of those little kind of micro decisions that it takes to make the finished painting. They each have to happen on their own. It's not a quick process for me where it's very intuitive and I'm just kind of moving around on the surface. I guess it is intuitive, but I have to develop that Mm -hmm. and it takes time. 
<laughs> well, and I'm curious, just as someone that um, kind of paints straight edges, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard, had this experience where people that don't um, somehow think it's almost magical, like, that's a really straight line. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I've, in drawing class, especially, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I could just draw it. But um, in terms of like a technical thing, I mean, are you do you tape things down or are you kind of like more... Um, more interested in kind of leaving some of the, the, the hand or mm-hmm. tape was like this amazing thing that happened to me, <laughs> which I didn't know why it took me so long to get to it. Most of the first book paintings don't have any tape. Mm-hmm. And then some recent ones, like maybe from 2014, I started using tape, but I only use it in big areas where I need to keep a long straight line because I think, you know, just relying on the hand there are, there's there's too much room for incorrect perspective and i like some incorrect perspective but for long lines i it's just so much easier to have the tape and then i do usually go back and fuss with that edge a little bit so that you don't get that little bit of tape bleed visible Mm -hmm. but then for all the smaller stuff that's all uh without tape and there i do like to see the hand and where things overlap and where things don't quite quite line up. That's really interesting information for me. So it's mostly, I mean, I use it because it's a great tool, but it's not the thing that makes the entire painting. I think that that, oh man, that would just make the process take even longer. (laughs) I was going to ask you, so, I mean, in terms of some of the the newer paintings, and again, there's a, there's Mm -hmm. a a couple of them that are from, I would imagine towards the end of last year, these, these um, uh, drawer pieces, uh, private plans. I mean, is that something that is kind of like a, a tangential thing? Is that like a new um, thing that you're going to be exploring in some new work? Or Yeah. So when when we were talking about the books and this idea of, you know, digital and, and the difference between, you know, having this big stack of books versus having your little device that holds all of that same amount of information and more, you know, I was thinking about books and, and this accumulation and the idea of, you know, how much they weigh and how you have to move it around and, and this weight of material things. And so I wanted to find another way to talk about that in the paintings without just having it be the books. I mean, I want to make more book paintings, but I also want to expand. I don't want to have that be the only thing that I ever do. So I started uh, taking pictures of interiors of drawers. The first one, it's called shorthand, is from a drawer that was at a cottage that my grandparents have in northern Michigan, and they bought it from someone who was like the summer doctor in that town. And they bought it furnished with all the stuff in it. They bought the person's stuff. They bought the contents of the drawer they bought the glitter that was in the plastic vials in the drawer. Mm-hmm. You know, they bought stamps from 1940 or whatever. They bought everything that was in the house, just the whole thing, whatever was there. And to me, that was such a crazy idea <laughs> that someone would sell the cottage complete with the stuff. Like they just didn't want to deal with getting rid of it. And so my grandparents kept it. And the contents of the drawer are from that. It's a mix of, you know, from that doctor who used to own the cottage and then from my grandparents who have kind of added to it. And so that was so kind of wacky to me. But then, you know, I also come from a family and especially my great grandmother who was really into collections and her house was just filled with stuff and all of it was really important to her. So it's not like hoarding or anything like that, but it's more just being really interested in the aesthetics of the objects that you surround yourself with and being so interested to the point that you are filling your house and every surface. And my mom is that way and I'm that way. And so the drawer paintings for me are about this accumulation of stuff and, um, and how we maybe keep it organized or maybe it's chaotic, but it's something that we are hauling around with us. You had also mentioned, like, if somebody um, passes away and then you have to deal with all of their books and packing them up. And that's something that I'm thinking about, too. Like, 
what's going to happen to all of this stuff? It becomes this burden that we have to deal with. And it's this heavy weight of, you know, making these tiny decisions like, do I keep this one little thing or do I throw it away or do I give it away to somebody who might get some use from it? You know, there are all of these small decisions and I don't know. So that work is new. And so I'm still figuring out where else it can go and what exactly it is. But that's kind of the source of, of why I started making those paintings. I'm in the middle of the third one right now. So it's still a really new area for me, but, but I'm interested in it. And it's also a huge challenge for me because the space Mm -hmm. of the paintings is so much more condensed and I'm painting all these tiny, tiny objects that are layered on top of each other. And I don't know, it's, it's a much bigger challenge than painting the books. And I'm curious then too. I mean, I think there's obviously like a lot that could be explored in terms of that. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. cause I just think about my drawers, you know, like <laughs> the kind of stuff that you have floating around in drawers, but right. you know, let alone other people's or, I mean, I'm curious too, then in terms of subject, I mean, even though it's not necessarily, you know, personal to photograph um, drawers of like a, a previous owner of a house right. and all, all, all of that stuff. I mean, do you think that kind of exploring any of that, like, like in terms of like a personal space is something that's interesting. And, and I guess, I don't know if anybody would know. I, f- I feel like I kind of do that in a way, you know, like I paint these things that might be really important to me, but somebody would just think of them as banal. And I, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about this type of right. subject because you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, but is that something that is interesting? Or... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the way that we make personal meaning is, is sometimes totally opaque to the world outside, right? And, and what objects are important to you personally, someone else will never know that story of why that, that specific place or location or that object have significance in your life. And so everybody shares that, right? Locating that in a painting is something that's really interesting to me. So um, the painting you mentioned, Private Plans, um, that's a close friend of mine. Uh, That's her junk drawer at her house. And she opened it when I was visiting and I was like, oh my God, I have to take a painting of this. I'm making, or take a picture of this. I'm making a painting. (laughs) And then the act of making that painting was really unusual. I felt like I was prying into her private life, but really there was nothing in that drawer that gave anything away about who she is or her personality. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe there were a few things that if you knew her, but if you don't know her, it's just a drawer of like markers and papers. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a clue as to her personality. But for me, it was a very personal experience of like examining the contents of that drawer inch by inch. So I, I think that there's, there's definitely something to that that mix of anonymity and specificity. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting even just to kind of listen to you talk about it, because I think about things that like, even things that I don't like throwing away, mm-hmm. you know, cause I just imagine it in a pile somewhere. Right. But it's so weird in a way that we're so attached to these things and not to sound super negative, I guess, but mm-hmm. like, you know, like if, if we get hit by a meteor, right. This is all going to be, gone i know it's all just material stuff but there's such a need for like a you know what i mean there's still you know like i i'm looking at like my grandfather after he passed away he left all these like cigar boxes and so i'm even as i'm talking to you i'm looking at something and going oh i I, that's that cigar box you know Mm -hmm. i have movie stubs in there you know these meaningless things in a weird way but there's like somehow this connection right. and maybe i don't know i wonder if it partially is just like that physical connection with things you know that mm-hmm. is is a, a a thing that we want to kind of explore um even if they're just kind of like a you know something that's mass produced right i don't know i, I would imagine then it'll it'll keep you uh, uh painting people's uh drawers for a while or <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe be. other things i don't know um 
It could be, but it there it's a, it's a hard road right now. They're taking a long time to finish. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's very interesting um, to be let into that world, and I guess just because I I want to make sure that there's mm-hmm. a, a kind of a bridge here too. So um, you know, we we've talked, of course, about how the paintings mm-hmm. are developed after that, um, and I guess with not without going into crazy mm-hmm. you know intense detail, what are, what are you doing now? Um, it looks like you're uh, oh, managing yeah. some artwork mm-hmm. and, and teaching so and in Lincoln. I'm uh, the gallery director at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. It's called the Eisentrager-Howard Gallery. And as part of that role of being the gallery director, I also teach a class called gallery management. So I get to work with students, and I also get to do the administrative side of gallery work, which I find that balance between the two really fulfilling. I sometimes teach studio classes as well, so I'll teach a beginning drawing or a beginning painting class. I really love doing the gallery work. That's interesting to me. And then I also run another space called the Prescott Gallery, which is a small space that kind of functions to support the art department. It's not officially through the University of Nebraska, but all of our exhibitions in some way support the art department. So we're showing alumni work or current student work, or if we have a visiting artist, sometimes we'll have an exhibition of their work there. Excellent. What's going on um, in the near future that you're, you're excited about? Well, right now I'm working to get this last um, drawer painting finished for an exhibition. It's a two-person exhibition um, with Byron Anway, who's another painter in Lincoln. And it's at the Fred Simon Gallery in Omaha. It's part of the Nebraska Arts Council. And that opens on January 25th. So so I, I got to get this painting finished. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it, right? You know, I always go up to the deadline. And again, it's, it's, I think again, like I was saying before too, I mean, you, you obviously have a lot of things that you're managing, you know, in terms of uh, presenting other people's work and all these experiences. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same thing for you, you know, I would imagine some mm-hmm. of it too, is just like that desire to kind of, I don't know. I always think like the last painting I did is like my, the painting that I was the most satisfied with. And then that leaves after, right. you know, you finish it. Right, right, right. It's that drive to just keep exploring. Well, again, um, I I thank you so much for uh, taking the time this morning to chat with me about all your work. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks once again to Jordan for joining me. And please go check out her website, jordanbrochure.com. She has a number of exhibitions going on right now. One is at the Fred Simon Gallery in Omaha, Nebraska. It runs through March 4th. Jordan also has work featured at Elizabeth Stoner Harper Gallery in Clinton, South Carolina. It's part of an exhibition curated by Julie Torres called Art in America. So you want to check that out again. That runs through February 20th. And if you're in Brooklyn, you can also see one of her pieces at Trestle Gallery, and that runs through February 12th. If you're hearing Studio Break for the first time and you like it, please check out our other episodes on studiobreak.com. Again, there's a big archive section that can be found on the left sidebar. You can go back through the months and check out the podcasts that you've missed. Again, each of the podcasts have images of the artist's artwork as well as links to their website, so please check them out. Another easy way to do that is to follow the hyperlink. Go to iTunes subscribe to the podcast and you can literally just scroll back and check out artists that you're interested in so please do that and of course you can be kind and uh, leave us a review up there again it just helps listeners find this podcast of course another great way you can do that is to share our facebook page again if you haven't liked it please officially do that and of course we do want to invite you to share opportunities and other interesting posts there again it's open so please feel free you can also follow our other media accounts you can follow our tumblr account that's studio-break.tumblr and you can also tweet us cool art and say hello at studio break on twitter and sometimes uh, you can catch me at david linaway so please feel free to say hello of course, I encourage listeners to check out the work of Skylar Mail. He provides the music to Studio Break, but is also a multimedia artist, performance artist, painter, and all sorts of good stuff at Skylar Mail. So please check out his website. If you're curious about my work, please visit davidlinaway.com. And though it hasn't been updated in a little while, there's plenty of old work there and recent series. So please check that out as well. 
Lastly, I just want to thank listeners for checking out the podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this one with Jordan Brashur. And once again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.